because you are gracious and good, because you have come to us and invited us to come to you, we sing, here is our King, here is our love, here is the one who comes to bring us back to him. And so today, Lord, we come back to you and we thank you for your forgiveness And we ask, God, that you would empower us today, whenever we have the opportunity to do right. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's an amusing Hasidic story about an old rabbi in Russia who used to walk across the same village square every day to go to the synagogue to pray. He did this for a number of years and one morning he ran into a a Russian soldier, a Cossack who was in a, a bit of a vile mood who just stopped him in his tracks and said, where are you going, rabbi? And the rabbi said, I don't know. And he said, what do you mean you don't know? For the last 25 years, every morning, you've walked across this same village square, headed to the synagogue to pray. Don't fool with me. You know where you're going. And he grabbed him and hauled him off to the jail and was just about to throw him in his cell when the rabbi looked up at him and said, See, I told you, I didn't know. I didn't know where I was going. And the reality is there are many things we don't know. In fact, in this time of year, as we anticipate Christ's coming, the celebration of Advent was initially about the anticipation of the second coming of Christ. And somebody will say, when will it happen? When will Christ come and order all things far and nigh? And we have to confess, we don't know. Many in the, in the first century thought it would be in their lifetime. And now, 2,000 years have come and gone. And somebody may say, well, what is God waiting for? But maybe the question for us is not what is the Lord waiting for, but what are we waiting for in this Advent season? What are we really expecting? Eighteen years ago, Melanie and I bought a book that was all the rage called What to Expect When You're Expecting. I wonder if that book is still out there as a question and answer for couples who are anticipating children. We're all expecting something. We're not all expecting children. But we're all expecting something. Can I ask you, what are you expecting in this Christmas season? What are you really anticipating? What has you on your tiptoes? What are you waiting for? And may I ask you if what you're waiting for is really something that's worth waiting for? It seems to me that our expectations of God in this Advent season far from being too great, may in fact be too small. Would you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew? We'll be camping out in Matthew, the Gospel of the King, the coming of the King. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, following this lengthy genealogy. Aren't you glad I'm not reading the genealogy to you this morning? They told me in seminary, never read the list to the people. Don't read the list. 
So I'm just going to start with verse 18. Would you stand with me? Would you follow along with me as we read God's Word? Always, by the way, please always bring your Bible with you to worship. We'll put words on the screen, but we want you to have your, your Bible. Just be in the habit of opening it every day and have it with you on Sundays. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You may be seated. So what were they waiting for? Put it very simply, the people of Israel were waiting for a king. They had been waiting a long time for their king to come. They were anticipating, they were expecting that at any moment God might break into history. And if you think that's an odd sort of anticipation, that their expectations were just a little bit out there, recall their holy history. And this is the power of the genealogy is that it reminds us as you look at that list of names, men and women, that God had in fact before broken into history. That he had intervened in the life of a man named Abraham and told him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a new land. And that he had given him a family and he had given him a son named Isaac and Jacob and Esau and all of that story. And Joseph and how God intervened in the lives of these people. And then a long list of kings in that second set in the genealogy. And Joseph is the son of David. That's what the angel calls him. So... What they were waiting for was a king. And the God who had spoken to these people who are listed in the genealogy shows up in a dream. In an angel, he speaks. And he recalls that God spoke through a prophet named Isaiah. And that God will speak again through his son. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, In the past, in many times, in many ways, God has spoken through the prophets and through angels. But, but now one who is greater than the angels greater than the prophets, has come. God sent His Son to be the King. So as I ask you, what are you waiting for this Christmas? It occurs to me that if you and I, like Joseph, like the people of Israel, if we are waiting for a King, is it unreasonable for me to say that the least we could expect if the King were to come is that we would be called upon to obey? I'll tell you about the incarnation, the coming of Christ. It intrudes on our lives. One writer, Peter Larson, has put it this way. When God comes, He 
always intrudes. Consider this, that when Jesus arrived through a virgin birth, He came through a door that was marked uh, no entrance. And He left when He walked through the open tomb through a door that was marked no exit. So with God, as we heard this morning from the Gospel of Luke, nothing will be called impossible. What if the God who deals every day in the impossible wants to work in my life and your life and this church? Would you agree with me that if a king came, if the king came, if God just showed up, what if we worship and God came to church and God showed up? Wouldn't it intrude on our plans? Wouldn't it change the way we live? Wouldn't it deal with our hearts and our attitudes today? Here is Joseph, a righteous man. He's upright. That's the word. He does the right thing. He does the right thing by God. He does the right thing by his fiance. He does the right thing by people. He just does right. That's the way that Joseph lives. And here comes bad news. Good news. He's engaged. Bad news. His fiance is expecting a baby. Worse news. The baby is not his baby. What to do? What do you do in a situation like that? Oh no, what will I do? And then an angel speaks. Good news. The baby that is to be born is God's son. And the good news is, Joseph, you get to marry Mary and raise a baby named Jesus who will save the world from its sins. This is how the incarnation sometimes inconveniences us. I would go so far as to say, if the coming of Christ does not change the way you and I live our lives, then we have not really experienced the coming of Christ at all. This is not the time for us to yawn sleepily as another Christmas comes and goes. In fact, what we are waiting for is God. And waiting for God is not sleeping. Waiting for God is not being lazy. Waiting for God is believing that ready or not, our King will come. And ready or not, our King will call us as He called Joseph to extraordinary, inconvenient obedience. Because the last thing Joseph wants to do is to give up the right to be the father of his first son. But God says, this is the time for you to obey. Has God said that to you recently? This is the time for you to obey. To be right with God is to say, not only will I be right with His law, but I will be right with other people. I will just be right. So you're, you're at a party and somebody hands you a beer and you either hand it back or you throw it back. Which do you do? Do you do right? Because being obedient to the King means that we choose to do the right thing. When we're underage, we're not involved in that kind of behavior. We're in a situation, in a, in a dating situation. Think about, think about Joseph who's already engaged. And yet he knows, verse 18 says, he knows, verse 25 says, that the baby is not his. How does he know this baby is not his? This isn't the Maury Povich show. How does he know? 
because he has never experienced intimacy. And verse 25 says, even after he's married, until the baby is born. This is right. This is how we know he is upright. Because he chooses to do the right thing. And the right thing is never convenient. But by the way, being a Christian is not convenient. If you're looking for convenience, you're coming to the wrong king. Because when the king comes, he asks Joseph to obey. And verse 24 says, do you read it there? He took Mary home to be his wife. Don't you, don't you know that Christmas is going to intrude? If the king comes, he's going to shake up your plans as though, as though our plans somehow transcended his plans. When the transcendent becomes imminent, when God comes, God calls us to obedience and he says, I want you to be right with this woman. I want you to be right. Do the right thing. Care for a woman who is pregnant out of wedlock. Care for her. And I hear James chapter 1, verse 27. This is pure religion and undefiled before the Father. Joseph is not self-righteous. He's looking for a way. He has the right to have her stoned to death. But, but he wants to dismiss her quietly because he doesn't want to harm her in any way. And God says, my purpose for you is not just that you don't harm her, but that you help her that you love her, that you care for her and cherish her and take her as your wife and he is obedient to God's call. And pure religion and undefiled before the Father is to care for widows and for orphans and to remain unspotted from the world. Be right with people. Because can I just say something? You can't be, no matter how self-righteous you think you are, you cannot be right with God if you are not right with people. And do right, he says, by the child. Be careful to do right by this child because this child, you, you get to raise the one who will save the world from its sins. I'm telling you, the coming of Christ, the incarnation, intrudes upon our lives and gives us the chance to start doing right, even if we haven't been doing right to do right. I think about this young man named Moses. Not the one in the Bible, but the one in Federal Way, Washington. Moses Baranuik. Moses who uh, was sacking groceries this week and came upon a bag that somebody had left behind and opened it and found $10,000 in it. This teenager must have had many thoughts run through his mind. What would you do if you found $10,000? But he handed it back to the person who lost it. And when they asked him why, you can see this is on YouTube. When they asked him why, he said, I teach Sunday school at my church. It would be sort of odd for a person who teaches Sunday school at his church to keep $10,000 that doesn't belong to him. I just want to say, in spite of what Hollywood says, that that intimacy is inevitable, that it's unavoidable, that everybody is involved in intimacy before marriage. I just want to point to Joseph and I want to say to you that God's way is a better way and that it's possible for us to set ourselves apart from the world and do the right thing. And though everybody else is doing wrong, you don't have to. 
You can do right. The incarnation calls upon us to be obedient to a God who still comes into our lives. And what would you do if you knew God was with you? Because, by the way, He is. The second thing I want to tell you about the coming of our King. What to expect when you're expecting. If you're expecting God to come, expect this. Not only will He intrude upon you, but He will include you. So God says to Joseph, you have responsibility. You get to name the child. This child is Emmanuel. God is with us. This is, this is good news. Best of all, God is with us. Everywhere we go, no matter what we do, Christmas means that we are never alone again. God is with us. God is with us, he says. And this God who comes, and he quotes Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, the virgin will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And God says to Joseph, I want you to know I was with Abraham and I was with David and I was with Solomon and I am with you. And we serve the God who is with us. And the question I want to ask you is, are you with the God who is with you? Because I know He's with you. Are you with Him? Are we serving Him? And He says, you get to name Him Jesus. That's not an unusual name in those days, by the way. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus in Greek. God saves. That's not an unusual name. You know, somebody has a baby in the media today and they sell the, the pictures of the baby for millions of dollars and somebody names their baby in the media says, what a strange name to name a child. And yet, Jesus is the baby who fulfilled the meaning of His names. And I want to say to those of us who haven't done the right thing, the good news about Christmas coming is that it not only intrudes upon us, but it includes us. So when he says this baby will forgive his people of their sins, that includes sinners like me, sinners like you, self-righteous people like us who think other people have problems. We can be forgiven. The good news is at Christmas, God comes to save the day. God comes to save us. Years ago, a man named Shackleton took a group of men down on an expedition to the South Pole and they were stranded there. He was able to escape, but he left some men on Elephant Island and said, I will come back for you. And then the day came when he made his way back and the ice opened up for a moment's time and they went in and got those men and the men were already packed up and loaded and they loaded on the ship and they escaped on the ship and the ice closed back and Shackleton said to his men, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that you were ready when I came. We just had that one window of opportunity he said, why were you ready? And they said, every morning we would wake up and say, today might be the day. And we would roll up our sleeping bags and be ready just in case you came. And the Scriptures say, you never know when God might show up. So the order of the day is to be ready just in case today God decides to intrude on our lives and ask us to do the right thing. Just in case today God shows up while we worship and includes us in the promise of forgiveness. Just in case we might want to be ready.
in case he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. Thank you that that your coming fulfills all our expectations. So we say, come thou long expected Jesus. We say, Emmanuel, our God is with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So come, O come, Emmanuel. Come thou day spring from on high and order all things far and nigh. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus who comes. Amen.